Welcome back to Thinking About It. Uh, Dr. Dave, what do you think about, in the course of your ministry, um, letters that you get, uh, irrespective of tone, essentially uh, trying to tune you up in some aspect of your ministry? Have you ever had some of those? Uh, A few along the way, yes. (laughs) uh, I've got one recently, and um, you know, I'm not going to name names. I think it's just, in many ways, it's a typical letter that I think uh, our, our interns are going to, we're going to talk about this letter Good. as to how to respond to it pastorally. There are different ways to respond. And when you want to be redemptive, I think uh, you're, you're looking to kind of redeem someone, kind of redirect them. And so I got a letter from someone just today, I read it, uh, who believes, like some do, that uh, our use of the NIV is apostasy. Uh, John 3.16 is only begotten, not only one and only son. And so they're just writing to me to say, cut it out. Um, I should use the inspired version, you know, on and on, that, that kind of thing. And at the end of it, it says, I'm going to pray for you, and so on and so forth. So I, I just uh, think uh. there's different ways to respond to that when you're a pastor. Yeah. Um, whether or not this person is in the church or around the church, he's someone who uh, you could consider is within your pastoral uh, scope, right? So um, I think there are times when, According to our study from last week, you can be like Nehemiah and just clobber somebody. Maybe there's a space for that. Or uh, maybe this is an opportunity to seek to redeem someone without wasting a whole lot of time because it might be pearls before swine. Right. But um, so the issue is about translation, and you want to try to educate him a little bit about what's going on with translation, but you want to do it in a way that that doesn't push him away or entrench him in his um, uh, battle formation. So what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, I, I think I'll start with, in, in response to that, I... I I think we. I, I think part of it is to um, recognize that uh, this person's opinion, conviction, is something that that this person holds dearly, and um, in some ways, can we can affirm that and affirm him in that. And and the illustration is my own father. Um, mm-hmm. My father would read the Bible through every year, okay, and he would read it through the King James. He loved the King James. Born again under the King James. Grew up in the King James. And, um, but one day he said to me, David, I'm, I'm going to try, I'm going to read the Bible through the NIV because I kept talking about the NIV, right? And he said, I'm, I'm going to read it through in the NIV. And he did. He read, it was a whole year, he read through the Bible in the NIV. And when it was done, he said to me, you know, David, um, it just doesn't speak to me mm-hmm. the way that the King James did. I, he says, what will I do? I said, Dad. Read the King James by all means, if that's what speaks to you. So I think there was a redemptive element there, and yeah. kind of gave him that permission to go there. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and he did that until the, yeah. till the till he died. But he he didn't go from there to no. attack you. No, he didn't. And that's kind of what I'm dealing with here, where where someone presumes to know better, yeah. and is putting me in my place. Uh, but in my view, they're ill-informed, right? And I do feel obligated to 
just say something to try and set the record straight. He's probably heard everything anyway. And so I want to give a little bit of that, but I also want to um, be redemptive and say we're all learning, but uh, here's something that you might want to consider. So how would you, without getting into a, a long discourse on on uh, biblical criticism and all that sort of thing, uh, what what would he need to know? What would be the, the, the most obvious thing, just to remind someone who has this view, that a departure from the King James terminology is apostasy. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. But I, I, I think the the one of the easiest or quickest answers is to understand that first of all, we're not reading the sixteen eleven edition of the King James version. Okay, uh, I've I've read the first I've read out of the first sixteen eleven edition. It's hardly understandable. I can mm-hmm. hardly make my way through it. So we are reading uh, an edition of the King James that's probably at least 100 years later. Mm -hmm. So in other words, and then we need to remind ourselves, okay, the 1611 edition was translated in the English of 1611. It wasn't translated into the English of 400 years prior to that time. Mm -hmm. And so then, but then they also recognized that 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 language got old. Mm -hmm. And so they had to update it. And they, they translated and revised it, whatever, into a later edition. And from my, my understanding, I've done a little bit of work, but, uh, but I think actually this, the edition that we are reading now as what we consider to be King James is actually a third rendition since 1611. Mm-hmm. So I, the first thing we need to realize is the translators of the King James Bible were very committed to translating into good English, but the English of the time. Mm-hmm. You can say the same for Martin Luther. When he translated the Bible into German, he didn't translate it into a German 400 years prior to his own day. He translated, it was good German, but it was a translation of the day. And so um, I personally am, and I'm going to use the word convicted, Mm -hmm. maybe convinced is a better word, but we need to have the Bible in the language of our contemporary times so that we do not, the Bible does not become the possession of the elite. And, and we have to spend most of our time, because we understand it, in our sermons explaining the King James English. Mm-hmm. And if a relatively well-educated person can't understand what they're reading, we've got a problem. Mm-hmm. The Bible needs to be in the language that, that people can read and understand. So my friend here is commenting on John 3.16, how King James famously says that Jesus is the only begotten son. Right. God well, so loved that he gave his only begotten son, which kind of has a cadence and a kind of familiarity with King James lovers. Um, but I'm not sure that everyone knows what that means. And to a casual reader today, it sounds like Jesus was born in the same way that everyone else in the Bible was born. So-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, and Jesus was begatten of God. And I don't know if that's the intent of uh, John when he writes that or of the word that he uses, monogenes. Is, is one and only son uh, a, a better understanding of that word? Unequivocally, yes. I, I have no question affirming what the NIV has done there and I would I don't know what the ESV has done there I haven't checked the ESV but I'm suspicious that they have 
I don't know. We should, we should probably check that before we talk about it, but mm-hmm. um, it'd be interesting to know if they use the word uh, only begotten kind of thing. But yeah, that's, that's a language that I think could actually read in the wrong idea. Yeah, and it's just not a, a an English word anymore, it no. seems. It's at least not contemporary And the English. word monogenes has the no, notion of one and only, unique, distinct, right. uh, nothing to else to compare with it. Yeah, and it's not so much talking to the way that Jesus came into the world, no. but it's talking about his nature exactly. as a unique son of God, unlike you or I, who are also sons of God, but we're not unique. Uh, we are not, we're, we're sons by adoption, whereas Jesus is by just his eternal nature. So, you know, I want to say that, you know, to this person, just I'm concerned as a pastor that yeah. people who come to me confused by that word, uh, why wouldn't I want to make it clear to them? And why should it be necessary always to have to explain something when a different word, a, a better word, can be inserted to help uh, people understand what the intention is. Um, Anyway, that's how I responded. I I said, I'm just concerned that people get it right, and this word is what it is, and here's here's what it means. And I didn't want to go into, like, there are books written on this subject, and I think pastors can can just uh, just drop everything and give themselves over to what could become a real... Um, firefight with somebody, and there's, you can't win those kinds of things. And I don't know how this dear person is going to respond to me, but I did write a couple of paragraphs, and that's all I'm going to write in response and uh, just thank them for their concern and assure them that uh, I have a conviction. I didn't use that word. Maybe I should have, but I am as convicted as they are about getting it right. And God's word is important. And uh, you don't have that on me. You know, I'm exactly. just as concerned as you are. Exactly. And I, I think we raise the ante appropriately. And the other side is, you know, someone convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. We, mm-hmm. we know that proverb well. Mm-hmm. And I think you've responded well by saying, okay, I've received it. I've acknowledged this. I, I realize that there's, there's a conversation to be had here and respond to it. But to get into a firefight, to get into an ongoing dialogue... Um, you know, the, there's a time when you answer and there's a time when you don't. Uh, Proverbs tells us that in Proverbs mm-hmm. 26, mm-hmm. right? And, and so I, I think pastorally, I think you've done the right thing to respond, acknowledge, taking him seriously in the sense that, um, we're not just going to mm-hmm. throw this away. We're going to actually respond to it, but to get into an ongoing uh, dialogue and firefight is is not going to be fruitful or pastoral. Amen. So while we're on the subject, you and I chatted a little bit before airtime about the NIV's um, gender mm-hmm. translation. And, you know, I'll read it in the version of the NIV, men and women, right. or brothers and sisters, that kind of thing, sure. when in the original it's Delphoi, it's, right. it's brothers or so on. Anthropoi, men. So is it okay to translate, and you, if you don't want to commit yourself to this, um, <laughs> you've, you've committed yourself to worse things, <laughs> might I say, but uh, is, is, is it faithful to translate that where it says clearly a, a brothers and, and knowing the intent of Scripture to include both genders? Right. And I... 
I do think that it is appropriate for us to render it uh, brothers and sisters or, um, uh, for example, in Psalm 1-1, uh, blessed, blessed is the man, mm-hmm. okay? Um, I, I'd be comfortable, blessed are those, or blessed are the men and women, blessed are the ones, something like that. Um, we're, we're in a culture now where... And, and and I'm I'm not bending in the direction of some kind of feminism, mm-hmm. but we it's important for us to recognize that that there is uh, an appropriate value. I don't want to use the word pride; that sounds too tough. But an appropriate value in um. Women who want to be identified and and clearly identified as women. Um, mm-hmm. uh, many young women today. I've got a couple of daughters that talk to me about this. Make it very clear, Dad. I'm not a man. I'm a woman. Mm-hmm. And when you use the word man to refer or mankind to refer to both men and women, I'm feeling excluded from that and. And again, we're we're into a time of a little bit of gender mm-hmm. fluidity, mm-hmm. and I'm really happy to hear, yeah, uh, my daughters. I know my gender. I'm I'm a woman, yeah. and it's not an issue of pride. It's it's just an issue of who I am as an image bearer of God. So in our time and culture, when the word man tends to reflect especially in the younger generation towards male gender Mm -hmm. we might want to think about what it means when uh especially younger women hear that Mm -hmm. and i think pastorally we have something to to think about there because there was a time when we didn't have to think about it just like in all thy sons command right we everyone was women were okay they got it but for whatever reason you're right now they hear it differently in all thy sons and not daughters command and it's both men and women who are hearing it. It's not just women. It's it's a recognition in our culture mm-hmm. that uh, this kind of language uh, is important. Mm-hmm. And we need to think about it and reflect on it because it is communicating some things that perhaps we don't want to communicate. I guess there's someone who would say, well, leave it as it is, and when I preach it, I will explain that uh, Delphoi is, is women, means women and men. But if if a good translation will spare you from that, why not just translate it the way it was intended? Uh, again, I is, I'm back to my conviction, convinced. I think that the scriptures need to be in the language of the people who are reading it. And if the language that's being used in our translation uh, in some sense or other excludes mm-hmm. Uh, some folk, I think we need to think about what that means. Well, that's what we do on this show. We (laughs) think about it on this podcast. Uh, We're out of time. Uh, Thanks again for thinking about it. Let us know if you've got some thoughts on this subject or some other subject. Dave and I would be glad uh, to uh, kick the can a little bit. So thank you for listening to us on Thinking About It. Until next week, I'm Bob McGregor. With uh, Dave Barker. (laughs) 